and Method Heads. Welcome back to another episode of Brain Buzz. We are your hosts. I'm Kyle. And today we are actually without uh, the co-host. Drake is not here today. So um, he's tasked me with keeping the ship afloat in his absence. And uh, I'm hoping I'll do an admirable job. I know I will because I've got an extremely excited guest. Somebody that I'm really looking forward to chatting with. Uh, sitting across the table with me, Dr. Kathleen Gates from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Welcome to the program. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> oh, great. Well, like I said, I'm super excited to get to chat with you. Um, and we'll, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated by your work. I think it's really applicable. Um, and maybe just to start, kind of what kind of work do you do generally? What's yeah. your kind of overarching themes across some of your work? Yeah, so um, the main aspect of my work that drives everything I do is uh, I come from a strong bias that everyone is a little bit different. And you can see that if you look at um, any of your friends or a partner or anything, like what, what makes one person tick or what upsets one person might not be the same thing that upsets another person. Everyone's got their own uh, social structures and every, everyone kind of approaches life and has uh, a little bit of their nuances of how they are. And, and we're just different. We're different people. We have different processes. And so my work is trying to uncover those uh, statistically so that we can describe a human a person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're humans, they're people. I they're, mean, yes. Actually, sometimes I, I have worked with rat brain data. But so that we can describe and better, um, better acknowledge that we aren't just all um, doing the exact same thing. And, and so I can trust that. I know that sounds to most listeners like, well, of course, everyone's different. We know this. I have, you know, I'm different than my friend and, and we're not the exact same. But psychological research and sociological research often is conducted as though everyone is the same, as though psychology or that that depression relates to um, uh anxiety for instance the same for everybody whereas it could be that for somebody it doesn't relate at all for another person their depressive symptoms come before anxiety for another person anxiety can come before depression there are many different um, manifestations uh, that we can see across people and so I'm trying to tease those out so we can better address the individual and get more towards personalized treatment so you're telling me that across all the research that we always do and talk about <laughs> uh, we're always just equating the brain and we're assuming that it's the same in each individual one what you're telling me is that's not the case yeah we've got very different minds and especially with MRI research we've been able to see that um, there are some consistencies and some of those consistencies are the things that keep us alive so for instance in the um, in visual processing for instance uh, you see a lot of consistency across people but once you get to higher level thinking you see a lot more differences across people and so this this goal of trying to find one model for what describes Solving a math problem, for instance, um, is probably not attainable because two people might approach it totally different, and that's going to manifest in differences in their brain processes. Great. So what kind of brain processes are you looking, um, I guess, maybe maybe taking a step out for a second, how do you go about modeling these things yeah. in the first place? Yeah. So good question. We try to... Um, get good features first. Okay. That's the most what do, important What do you mean by part. features? Oh, yes. Um, so make sure that the data you are getting match on to whatever you're interested in okay. and so so that's that's all i mean by getting good features because okay. everything we do uh is data driven so you give us the data or the features that you think are are going to be necessary for understanding that person's brain process and then we um come up with a mathematical model for it okay um, in the process of putting together a mathematical model, what like walk me through that process? What sure. does it? How does it start? Yeah, let's say we're sticking with brain imaging data. We put a person in the scanner, and 
uh, if I am interested in how people respond to an emotional cue, maybe I would show them, or my collaborators usually collect the data, but so maybe they would show them a clip, a movie clip that uh, might bring about sadness. And so one that people might know about, people off, uh, researchers often use uh, a scene from The Lion King. Ah, um, yes. The, <laughs> yes. the reboot or the original? The original. The original, the better one. Yeah, okay. And so, <laughs> Although I like the reboot, too. I, mean, I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. You got to check it out. It's, it's pretty worthwhile. Okay, okay. Yeah. So so there's a scene in, in Lion King that apparently brings about sadness for a lot of people. Um, I know Simba's involved. I'm d- forgetting yeah. the details. <laughs> it's a bad storytelling, okay. Katie. Whatever. I'm going to back myself out of Mufasa, it. Mufasa, yeah, something, something. You know, yeah. We don't want to, no, no spoilers, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking out for your listeners. Yeah, thank you. They, they're appreciative right now. They, they are. They heard this thing about the Lion King and they just immediately skipped forward a few seconds. They didn't want to hear the spoiler. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. They're like, nope. <laughs> I'm going to watch it soon. Um, so, so we might play a sad clip from a movie uh, that we think is unambiguously sad for most people and so then we uh we look at how people's brains respond and what we found in one study for instance using a similar type of paradigm that was trying to induce an emotion we found that people who are depressed uh the their brains process the information differently than the people who are not depressed uh just as an ex- uh, you know a high level example and so how we build the models is we first look for what's similar across people uh because as i said especially in the brain we know there's going to be similarities because uh there's physical Physiological constraints. Uh, so um, uh, there's only so many ways our brain can be connected, and <laughs> sure. we, we'd still be human, and we'd still be able to function. Uh, so there's those constraints, and so we look for what's consistent across people. There could also be some consistencies in that maybe there are similar ways in which we just process emotions. Uh, but what I'm most interested in is what the differences are, and so maybe some people process an emotion. And they have a slightly different um, way that their brain is is working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, trying to not use too much jargon. And so uh, <laughs> so maybe I can identify and that, that's a big part of my work is trying to identify. So what are their what how is this person's brain processing differently than this other person's brain? Uh, and then we look at how um, whether or not that's meaningful. So if you have people who look different, um, it could just be idiosyncratic. And so then we use outside measures, like for instance, their depression score or something that's outside of the data we use to understand their brain um, to kind of validate and to see if the different brain processes related to our constructive interest that we're trying to probe. Fascinating. I think that's <laughs> it's really interesting just to kind of see that from the other side because you know when we're reading papers i only ever see the outcome of these types of studies and so it's it's cool to actually hear from from you directly how we're getting to this point um i had a question for you that is related i think how do you know that these idiosyncratic events are not just simply that they're not just idiosyncratic but are actually reflective of some deeper issue or underlying issue well that's a good question um we don't always know uh so um uh, kind of related to that is like we could it just could be, be noise it could it could be something unique to the person or it could be something that we just got wrong um, and so usually we try to look to see if it is important on the construct that we care about and if it's not then maybe we're capturing something that wasn't central to our question because um, sure. everybody there are going to be nuances just because people are different yeah. and so you're going to find <laughs> yeah. some all not all depressed brains look the same either they're everyone's depressed in their own way right it's right like, sure yeah it's like all families are dysfunctional in their own way <laughs> yeah the list goes on and yes, so but there might be some core elements that are similar so we're trying to find those right okay yeah, yeah so understanding kind of what what similarities are meaningful and what differences are meaningful mm-hmm. and how those impact uh, in the long run 
how do you look or, or do you consider because I know part of your work focuses on long term mm -hmm. um, and and multiple measurement kind of things how, what does that look like what does that process look like in terms of developing your model and, and building outwards from yeah. what you've started with yeah so um, sometimes we have in the past looked at aspects of brain processes to try to predict future things so for instance um, one thing we're working on now uh, I'm super excited about uh, we have access to some data that were collected on infants and so it's kind of oh, cool. cool. What they do is they have the parents or caregiver bring in their infant at six months old and they bring it in around the time of nap time. So sometimes it's nine o'clock at night. Sometimes <laughs> it's, you know, it's, so it's just, it's working around the family schedule. They swaddle them up, they put them in the MRI, which has a repetitive noise yeah. that sometimes puts people to sleep. So you sure. put these babies in the scanner, which sounds ridiculous. I was like, how do they not cry? <laughs> and that is how they bring them around nap time. <laughs> and so um, we have babies, um, the same baby scanned at six month, 12 month and 24 month. And half of these babies have a sibling who has autism spectrum disorder diagnosis. Okay. Okay. And so what we're doing is we're getting um, a snapshot of what their brain processes look like when they're sleeping at six months to see if we can prospectively predict um, a diagnosis of autism at 24 months oh, or wow. if we can predict um, autism symptomatology because um, everybody manifests autism differently um, or you can have sub-threshold levels when what I mean what I mean by that is uh, some people don't hit the diagnostic category, but they still have pretty high levels in some of the symptoms. And so we want to prospectively see if we can take uh, uh, little kids' brain yeah. processes of what, what, what goes on while they're sleeping and um, have some sort of biomarker that might relate to symptoms down the line. Uh, and again, we have um, a high-risk sample because um, people with symptoms of autism spectrum disorder, um, or excuse me, people with a diagnosis are more likely to have siblings with at least symptoms of it. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. So we're banking, we're using that as like a high risk group. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's how we kind of look prospectively or, or look across time because uh, there's two time resolutions here. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about it. <laughs> we, Absolutely. <laughs> we have within the scanner where we're taking samples every second, and we have multiple multiple samples. Um, but then we have longitudinal time, which might just be three time points, and they're six months or a year apart. And so so breaking things down into two, those two types of longitudinal time is um, not easy. No, certainly not. I've, I've just recently started getting into this idea of inter-individual variability mm -hmm. in cognitive performance and functioning over time. And and it's absolutely complex. And I think that it's really fascinating to, to think about how variability within one time point may or may not be related to variability across time points and how that variability may or may not be indicative of these other things that are going yeah. on too. So it, it gets very complex very quickly. How do you know when to when you're on the right track and when you're barking up the wrong tree? When things don't work out, <laughs> <laughs> um, then that means that the features are like, so, so let's say that we're not done with our baby brain study yet. So right. I, I was just explaining what we're going yeah, to do, yeah. uh, what, what's actually in progress right now, um, probably at this moment back at yeah. UNC, someone's <laughs> analyzing that data. There's a cute little baby in a scanner exactly. somewhere at UNC. Beautiful. <laughs> and so um, if we don't find that our baby brain analysis relates to some sort of future symptom, um, we probably write it up as a null finding that's in the psych archive, but doesn't get published because no one will publish yeah. it. And so I think that's the we run into the same problems as anyone doing analyses, even though ours is exploratory. When it doesn't work out, um, we accept it. Yeah. Like we. Are so, did, yeah. Yeah. No. No. I think that's a really great point. From a quantitative perspective, is there value in appreciating our understanding 
at least acknowledging null results. Oh yeah, I would think so, yeah. especially when people do power analysis, because folks out there who don't do power analysis, <laughs> <laughs> you may have heard of the replicability crisis in psychology. Where a lot, or actually, let's go farther. Let's not just look at psychology, sure. uh, science as a whole, um, uh, medical science, social sciences, um, anything dealing with humans, it's been hard to replicate. And um, some of the problem with that might come down to you need, you mentioned power, so I feel like I have to define it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, power is like, so let's say there is a relationship or there's a correlation. Everyone knows correlation. Let's yeah. say there's a correlation between two things, like between a neighborhood that has a lot of fast food restaurants and then obesity in the children, right? Sure. So let's say we have that correlation. Um, what we mean by power is we need enough individuals and enough samples and enough neighborhoods in order to detect that. And so um, when only significant results are published, which is the current state and pretty much what's always been the state in the sciences, when only significant results are published, then um, uh, we don't know about all the non-significant ones. And so then we don't know the effect sizes and, and it gets into a, a big problem. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how to avoid jargon. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's it's tough because yeah. it's uh, you know our our field and not just our field like like you said any science field is often littered with with jargon and it's it's really yeah. hard to remove ourselves from that and so you're doing an admirable job. It's great. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna give you I'm gonna just toss a couple softball questions at you. Ones mm -hmm. that Drake specifically gave me that I think he'd like answers to. Um, one of his questions was. In relation to collecting data over multiple days, mm -hmm. okay, so what he wants to know is when do you go about asking people to fill out those surveys or questionnaires? Oh, like when in the day? Yeah. Ooh, that's a wonderful question, Drake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so everyone does it differently. And I think it should be tailored to the type of study that you're doing. Uh, for some people who are interested in drinking, it's usually best, for instance, to ask um, at the end of the day, mm -hmm. how many drinks did you have today? Because uh, we found, um, but if you're dealing with a high alcohol sample, you might want to ask many times in the day, because maybe you're curious how many drinks did they have before noon? Right. And maybe you're, you know, whereas for uh, the majority of individuals, that would be zero. So you don't need to ask it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so I would say tailor it to your sample and to what you're interested in. Uh, and then another thing is um, think about how quickly you think things are changing on that construct. So uh, emotion, for instance, might change second to second or let's just say hour to hour. Maybe something happens and it makes me kind of sad. It might take a few, you know, a little bit before that that resolves itself. Um Whereas, uh, so you might want to assess that multiple times throughout the day, whereas things that only happen once a day, like sleeping, you only have to assess once a day. Or things that you think ca can be assessed just once a day. Um, uh, yeah, so, and then when, right? When to ask yeah. is a whole other thing, like yeah. morning time, night time for like emotional things. Yeah. I think, and I think kind of what you're alluding to here is that it gets complex yeah. and it really is going to be contingent on the question that you yeah. want answered, right? Um, okay, here's another one for you. Um, what is, because I don't know, oh. he seems to know, but I do not know what he's talking about. Um, what is the difference between event contingent recording and interval contingent oh, recording? Oh, fun question. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm glad you think it's fun. I have no yeah, idea what we're talking about. I was just about. talking uh, about that with two people earlier today who oh, are faculty great. here. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, about the pros and cons of them because uh, so then they knew. So I'm kind of mimicking what they said. <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. Let's, let's go. So, yeah. So yeah. event re- contingent would be something like uh, you would tell the participant every time you're stressed out, pull out your phone and answer these questions. And um, I've seen them. Uh, very specific. So some some studies say when you're stressed out because of an interpersonal thing, do it. Or, you know, uh, so it can be like okay. stressor specific. And that's event contingent. Like we only are collecting data when a certain event happens. Um, the pro of that is then you get the real juicy stuff. Like, oh, sure. ideally, like, oh, something stressful happened. How did that person immediately feel? Um, the con of that is, uh, and I was talking with Christiane about this, mm-hmm. um, is... When you're stressed, you don't feel like pulling out your phone and answering yeah, a questionnaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, imagine you just yeah. had a, an argument with your partner. You're not yeah. going to be like, oh, hold on a second. Yeah. I have to finish out this questionnaire. Yeah. Sorry, hon. Let me just, I'll get back to you in just a second. <laughs> right. here. But I, I, I made a commitment yeah. to a yeah. researcher and Sorry. I've got to do this. <laughs> yeah. And Who so knows? That, that might be the basis for the stress in the first place. Exactly. Yeah, right, you right. Know. You yeah. care too much about your research. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so, that's where event contingent can fall apart is like, how often do people actually do what you want them to do when something interesting just happened or a positive thing for instance if um uh we want them to respond every time they do something positive you don't be like oh i'm so happy let me go get my phone and fill out a questionnaire (laughs) it's usually the mundane moments like that's why oftentimes they're at the end of the night and that would be into interval contingent so if we had people fill out uh, a questionnaire on their phone at the end of the night then that can be a really good time because it's more reflective and it gets them thinking to what what was today like and um and it's a little bit more of, uh, for some people, it starts to become part of their nighttime routine. They brush their teeth, they fill out their questionnaire, and then we're not asking them to do it in the middle of their life. Yeah. Uh, but then the bad <laughs> part of that out. is it's all retrospective. And also by asking them every night, it's an unintended intervention because we're getting people to think about their emotions much more than maybe they would have otherwise done. Right. So you can have that sort of accidental interaction between yeah. your yeah it's fascinating there's um there's just so much that is at play whenever you are beginning to think about how you design study and you have mm-hmm. to be so very careful of all these things yeah. and i'm glad that we've got some very smart brains sitting across the table from me working on these things so that i just read the literature and i know what i'm supposed <laughs> to do makes my life a lot easier um katie i think we should probably wrap up we've been doing great i've had a great time chatting mm-hmm. um is there anything that you'd like to maybe a quick fact mm. um or a shout out to anybody or your research team back home whatever it might be yeah. the floor is all yours um i just want to thank my research team back home you're absolutely right uh, uh i gave a talk today and i got to go over a lot of the work that's coming out of the lab and it's really because of all of the students and so they are amazing and i'm very fortunate to have them I'm sure they feel the same way about you. Let's hope so. I, I imagine <laughs> so. Um, you were, I know people were so excited to get to chat with you today, and I'm really appreciative that you took the time out of your schedule to drop by and say hello and, and have a quick chat with me. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, leave us a review, leave us a comment or two. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Uh, we're also on a handful of other streaming services that I cannot remember the names of. <laughs> So if you found us there, leave us a review there. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. We are at uh, brainbuzzpodcast.com. Uh, we also have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook where you can drop us a line. Uh, Drake and I would be more than happy to chit-chat, uh, share any of our stories and experiences, and as well take advice on questions that you'd like us to ask future guests. Um, I guess with that, Katie, thank you. Um, and until next time, cheers. Cheers.